0: your host, Jay Poole, and this is Potstir Podcast. Last year, I interviewed Alison K. Garcia, author of the highly rated novel Vivir el Dream. When we talked last time, Allison shared a great deal about the novel and the myriad of experiences and influences that inform her writing. We also talked about the subject of undocumented immigration, which is a major theme in the book. Check out episode 14 if you haven't already. Well, today, Allison is back to talk about her upcoming novel, Finding Amour, as well as the themes that inform her new book. Guys, you're in for a real treat. Here's today's interview with Allison K. Garcia, author of the upcoming novel, Finding a More.
1: Welcome back, Allison. Thank you so much, Jay. I'm really excited to be here again today. Last time you
2: were here, we were talking about your book The VRL Dream, which is a very insightful novel about a young college student who is an undocumented immigrant and her mother living in the US and their experiences. Since then You've been working on a new book that's coming out soon. It's a novel I'm very much looking forward to.
1: Tell us a little bit about it. Well, it's the first book of a three-part series. It's called Finding Amor. The series' name is Buscando Home, uh, which is uh, Buscando in Spanish is the word for looking for or searching for. And the book is about a Salvadoran family that's been kind of separated by time and distance. And it talks a lot about love, um, not like romantic love as much as the love of family, the love of God, and loving yourself. And so it's, it's, it's the, some of the themes are domestic violence, abuse, uh, and then again, the topic of immigration. The main character, there's three main characters, but the, or four main characters. Main character, Emmanuel, uh, is an eight-year-old boy who comes, across the borders to the United States to be with his mom, who he hasn't really met. He met her when he was an infant, but then she left him to come to the U.S. to make a better life for them. And just as her mother had left her, and so it's kind of a cycle, a family cycle that's kind of started there. And so he comes to the U.S., and he's apprehended at the border by the La Migra, uh, or ICE, and is thrown into, like, a detention center or immigration center. And so that's one of the main beginning parts of the book. So that's kind of some of what the book deals with. Okay.
2: So how has the experience been writing Finding Amor compared to uh, writing your previous novel?
1: Well, um, with Finding Amor, I actually wrote it back in 2014, before all the stuff was going on currently with detention centers and the children in cages and them losing the children and everything like that. So that's all been going on since I've been editing it. But um, when I wrote it in 2014, I was inspired because I had seen, I guess more, I don't know if inspired is a great word, but like just upset or, or like I was just very almost disgusted or upset by this image I saw on the news of, these children from El Salvador who were like, you could tell they were like little kids, mostly um, some teenagers and they were on like a bus and Americans were outside protesting and they had been apprehended and were on their way to like a detention center and Americans were outside like yelling at them and like, you know, and like just the anger and hatred on their faces of the Americans was so upsetting to me especially since I'm sure like some of those people were probably like spouting Christian values, which is um, something that makes me so physically angry to, to have that be happening. Um, and so mm-hmm. that image was like stuck in my mind. And that's kind of one of the things that that's the first image of, of the book is the Manuel sitting on a bus um, and having all these Americans kind of screaming hate at him. And so that's, you know, I, I took that feeling, and then that's what I put into the book. And so when I first wrote it, I had kind of some other ideas about the ending and how I wanted it to go. And then I think because of that, it didn't really sit well with me. And so I never ended up editing it until just this year. And I was like, well, you know, I wrote a book in know Christian fiction, and I should write another book in know Christian fiction. And I was kind of going back and forth. And I was like, well, you know. I've got this one, and I think it's good. So I picked it up in January, and I was like, this is horrible. (laughs) Uh I don't like this at all. (laughs) And I I almost threw it in the garbage, (laughs) like, metaphorically, because it was on my computer. But, um, like, if it was in paper, I'm glad it wasn't on paper, because I might have actually thrown it in the garbage. I just, like, in the beginning was fine, but the ending just was, and I felt like there were these, there were insurmountable errors that I couldn't, overcome at the end and so I felt very uh you know just disappointed and discouraged and I called my editor Well, I think I was just send her like Facebook messages that's usually how we communicate and I was like you know I don't know if I'm going to do this project you know I don't really I feel like there's insurmountable errors blah blah, blah that just can't be fixed and so she in her infinite wisdom said well, you know, a lot of things that seem unsurmountable at first, once you sit back and kind of take some time away from them, can seem (laughs) surmountable. And so I was like, oh, okay. And and then I was, uh, it always takes me until the last minute to think about this, but then I was like, well, maybe I should pray about it. Allison, she thought about that like three weeks ago. (laughs) And so I decided to pray about it, and as I was praying about it, you know, whether I should leave that project, or leave the genre in general, because I was starting to think, like, with all of the the racism and everything in the area, I was like, I don't even know if I should be a white person writing this book, and so I was starting to really question if that was what God wanted for me, and so I, I prayed about it, and instead of feeling like I should leave the book, God actually gave me an idea to fix the ending, and then to make it into a series, so as I always think that God knows better than I do, I decided to to, to keep going with it, and it's I actually really love my book now, and I think people are really going to like it. And I think also just like God's timing is amazing, just like how I had written al Dream in 2012, and none of the DACA stuff was going on when it came out. It, like there was like the all the DACA stuff came out right when Viviera Dream came out, and then with Finding Amor you know i'm in the middle of editing it and i'm almost almost done and then all the stuff kind of starts going down with the kids that are missing and the being caged at the border and mm-hmm. and i think it made it, it it's it's like god was like you know this book needs to come out because like i think as you probably know like there's a lot of people that are christians that are coming out and saying all the stuff about oh it's Like, they're not that upset about children being caged. And I think that this book needs to be out there so that people can, especially Christians, can get a different perspective and understanding and get into someone else's shoes and kind of walk around for a little bit and realize why these things are going on and, you know, that we need to have compassion and love and not walls and hatred and all that stuff.
2: Yeah. So I kind of want to go back to something that you had mentioned before that it sounds like one of the challenges was that you were, you know, you're coming from being someone who's Caucasian, writing Mm -hmm. about the experiences of people from Latin America. And so I imagine that would be somewhat of a challenge, especially since it's not something that maybe you personally experienced how are you able to to kind of deal with that as far as meet that challenge and how are you able to incorporate maybe the actual experiences that maybe you had personal experience but there are people out there mm-hmm. that have had those experiences
1: yeah for me you know it's been a process I, it's something that i i've been really thinking about a lot this isn't something that i'm taking lightly because Right now, the situation with race and immigration in this country is very serious and very scary and life-threatening. And so I don't want to be contributing to systemic racism. At the same time, I'm kind of inherently kind of part of it because of my color, um, being white. For me, I want to be as aware as I can of what I'm doing as a person, um, as a white person. Contribute to racism, and I I definitely don't want to be a part of that. So that's one of the things that really stopped me. So I've been I've been on a kind of a personal journey of going to some seminars and workshops and reading a lot of books about that topic, so that I can be more aware of my impact. I'm just going to throw out a couple titles of books. There's a really good book called Waking Up White that I've, I've read, and then a really good book called Plantation Jesus, which I don't know if you've read that one. But it I've is all about. I haven't read it. Oh, it's so good. Um, but like in a horrible way. <laughs> like it's very well written, but, um, it's very <laughs> challenging to, to someone like myself that is white and a Christian because it talks all about how white Christianity was used by white people in the U.S. to perpetuate racism. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's very disturbing, the intentionality of it, um, and the continued nature of it. But I think it's very important, an important read for anybody to, to read up on. So it's something that I've been thinking about. I've been informing myself. And then, um, also, you know, part of it is that I have a very, very close connection to Latino culture in general. Like, my husband is, is from Mexico. I have my church family. Most of the people in my church family are from Latin America. And a lot of my friends. And just like, I, is this is this part of my, this kind of part of my life too? Like, I kind of sometimes, feel like I'm Latina at heart where I know I can't be like it's not in my DNA but like sometimes like I wish I could be but I know that's not really how it works. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um you know that's just I just kind of feel it. It just feels like part of who I am a little bit. But at the same time I know I'm an outsider looking in, which is why this time um I got sensitivity readers and they're currently looking at my book. Um and sensitivity readers for those who don't know are like people that are from the culture of what you are writing, if you are a white person writing a different culture, or if you're a person of color writing of a different culture other than your own, it's someone that's from the culture of the person that you're writing. So, like for example, um, I have people from like El Salvador and Mexico in my book. So, the people I have like four sensitivity readers, and they all have Latino origins, and they're reading my book, and they're going to give me feedback about anything that might be unintentionally like offensive or doesn't, isn't authentic or doesn't kind of feel right for the book. And so that's something that I'm actively, that's actively happening. It's in process right now. And they're supposed to be getting that stuff back to me on the 10th of this month. So we shall see. I've already been getting some feedback about my Spanish, which I always mess up, like these little words. <laughs> like <laughs> I always miss off, like the, I always put like a lay instead of a low or I add a te where there's not supposed to be a te. So, um, they're catching all those things or just there's just little things where it is it just it's my second language and right. kind of like you know when you talk to someone who's speaking English as a second language like it's like you like you can tell cause there's like a couple like little things that are not quite right which you know when you're talking is cute but when you're writing a book is less cute.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like I, I it makes me think of I have several friends that are from different countries. I have some that have been in the United States for a long time and have
1: mm-hmm.
2: been, have spoken English for a long time, but it's their second language. And right. so even if they're like really fluent and everything, there might be like certain idioms or other like little things that might, you know, it may take a very, very long time and it may be something that you might never completely get. Right. Exactly. You know. So you know, I'm sure that that's probably what you encountered with with using Spanish,
1: right? And so you know, if I think about just language-wise, and maybe I'm doing that just in in the non-dialogue as well. So that's one of the things that um, you know unintentionally, like I, you know, sometimes we just we don't know what we don't know, and so that's what sensitivity right. readers are for. So I'm really trying to make sure I don't get in the way of this book.
2: Mm-hmm. Sounds really thoughtful. I kind of wonder myself, like, how much, as far as, like, the media, do they employ sensitivity readers? Just because sometimes when I do read things or consume, like, entertainment that one culture is writing about a different culture. And, you know, sometimes I think it's very hard to not employ your own background and your own experiences mm-hmm. into things. And you, you kind of feel like, man, this is,
1: like, something isn't quite right about this, you know? <laughs>
2: And, um yeah. but i will
1: say I, I, I think it's a say problem say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i think it's a problem because because like um there's right now there's a big push to add more diverse characters or have my more diverse fiction and so what what's happening is that a lot of my people the white people they are like oh i want to write a diverse book so i'm just going to you know take this book that i already wrote and then change their skin color and then you know that not quite how it works there people (laughs) you know you can't just like randomly change someone's skin color it's like there's a lot of cultural things that go along with it too it's not just about putting a diverse person in your book it's and they're not just there just like as a like a little poster they're supposed to be like like real authentic people that's why they want diverse things so that people that are from diverse cultures feel like hey there's books about me and my and so it's yeah so I think it's Something that we have to be very cautious about, especially just, I'm just talking for we, like people that are white need to be very cautious about because I think it's, it's a dangerous territory.
2: Yeah, I think it's just, it, it definitely is something that artists want to kind of be aware of when writing about or making some kind of work about someone of the culture that they're not necessarily part of. When I read your previous book, The El Dream, I found that I mean I'm I'm probably not the best person to judge just because I'm also I'm not from uh, Latino culture, but mm-hmm. it did feel like reading a lot of the the details in the book and a lot of like what was in the book like it really felt like I could kind of empathize with the characters. When you wrote Finding a More, have you kind of maybe imp- done some of that as well as far as like building characters that people can relate to or in a way that maybe they can empathize even if they're not necessarily from that culture.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, That's the feedback I've been getting so far is that people, so far people are enjoying it and they're feeling very enthralled by the story. So that's good. It's kind of still out with beta readers and sensitivity readers, so I'll know more soon. But for the handful of people that have read it so far, they're feeling like they don't want to put it down one lady was like, I'm not getting enough sleep because I can't put your book down. So that's always something good to hear as a writer. Um and I think that as a counselor, just like 'cause that's my job, I'm a therapist, mental health and substance abuse counselor, I kind of inherently write in a way that makes people empathize because that's one of my gifts is empathy and so otherwise I'd be a really crappy counselor. Um, so for me, you know, like, I, that's I something, I, and that's one of the purposes, I think, of my book, too, is part of it is I want people that are undocumented that maybe don't have a voice, or people that are reading Christian fiction that are, let you know, and don't see anyone like them in books. Like, I, I want them to see strong, authentic characters that are portraying their culture. And at the same time, I want Christians to be opening their eyes to, the things that are going on in the world, and to have heart and compassion, which is I think one thing that's seriously missing right now is is compassion and empathy for others. And I think compassion and empathy and love, all those things, which is you know a lot of that's is kind of almost the same thing, but um, having compassion, empathy, and love can I think solve a host of the world's issues and really get people to to get to know each other. And and I think yeah that's that's part of my book. And I had. I have this blog that I help with. It's called Diversity Between the Pages, and it's all about diverse Christian fiction. And one of the people on there, I can't remember who it was, told me that there was a study that showed that when people read books, they are able to be more empathetic about someone that's different than them because they get into reading the character and they're able to put themselves in the shoes of that character. And so that was very... Encouraging to me and something that I had actually heard people say when they're reading Viviera's dream that people could really, like, really were feeling for the characters and they really didn't know that was going on and kind of got them a different perspective. And I'm hoping people will have a similar experience with finding amor, you know, with Emmanuel, who's so small and a lot of the kids that are, you know, in the, you know, in the, the cages and different things that are going on right now. Like, those are about Emmanuel's age. And at the same time, I think that people are blinding themselves. Like the people that are against it are blinding themselves to the fact that those aren't just pictures on the screen. Those are actual children. Somebody's child that has, that kid has a mom and that mom is right there, you know, in a different cage or in a different facility upset and, and wanting to be with the family. And so it's, yeah, I think that it's a very important thing for people to, have empathy.
2: Yeah, I definitely, I would definitely agree with that. Like, it's so interesting. Like, because I felt like the timing of Finding a More coming out, I guess, for lack of a better word, pretty impeccable. Like, considering everything that's going on, um, as far as as the Trump administration separating children from families at the U.S. Mexico border, mm-hmm. children being put in cages, being put in these like facilities. If after reading Finding a More, readers come away feeling more empathetic towards refugees from El Salvador and other places in Central and South America,
1: what would you
2: say is kind of the next step? So, like, they empathize, okay, I feel bad, or this is horrible. What next? What do
1: I do? Yeah. So what I've done, um, what I'm going to be doing, and what I've done for for finding, for, for Viviana's Dream also, is at the end of the book I put resources, so places where you can get it's called get active, get involved, get active. I can't remember the exactly the phrase. But it gives people actual resources and places they can go and things they can do to be involved in helping the immigrant population and helping and making sure the right thing is happening in this country. But off the top of my head, I would say there's there's always the ACLU and then if there's like for example in Virginia, we have Virginia organizing. So it's kind of a grassroots thing that's going on. So I would say like some grassroots places and some of the bigger agencies are tackling some of these things and you can get involved. Right now with the children, I think for a while, like when it wasn't kids, people could just kind of ignore it and they could just pretend it wasn't happening. But then, you know, you get the mama bear thing happening. And so like just while they could ignore it for a bit, I think like when there were... Pictures of actual children in cages and being ripped from parents' arms, you know, that hit a lot of the women in America, I think, and really riled people up because that's been happening. And it's, But I think that there were no images of it and there was not, it wasn't happening as frequently. And I think there's a lot of energy against that. At the same time, I know that people kind of with social media and all that stuff, once there's another story, they go on to the next thing. So I, I don't want people to forget that this is still happening, you know. Um, yes. And, yeah, and so I think that's one of the things with getting involved in, in your local community and also sometimes bigger organizations. There's another organization called Coming to the Table. Faith in Action is another one. And so there's there's a lot of different organizations depending on what you're interested in helping with. And it, I don't think it takes too much Google searching to, to find a place near you to help and be active with.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean I think it's also especially like being able to also find time to check out events as well mm-hmm. um sometimes yeah. like when you're going to these events like when I like I went to the Families Belong Together event back in June yeah. and a lot of both local and national organizations that are trying to do things to help these refugees that are seeking asylum as well as undocumented immigrants and other immigrants that are here in the United States, a lot of those groups were were there, and I was able to kind of touch base with some of those. You know, when those kinds of events come out, I think it's definitely important to check them out as a first step to yeah. being able to kind of get connected and find ways that you can get involved further.
1: Yeah, and I think, um, too, you know, um, just being loving to other people is just always the next step I think when you change your heart and you change the way you look at people and the way you interact with people and the way you talk, uh, act towards people, your behavior towards people, that does a lot in itself. And I think that can have a ripple effect. Right now, it's pretty divisive, but, you know, see something, say something. If some one of your friends or your family is misinformed on something, it's okay to speak up and talk. Just make sure, take a deep breath before you <laughs> roll into it, because... You know, I don't know about, for me, I get like, ooh, I start to get a little Jersey. Then it's hard for me to calm myself down. <laughs> so, you know, it's, but it's important to, uh, and and to read books and to watch movies and, and learn more is always good, too. put a plug out for a really good, really good memoir by Reina Grande called The Distance Between Us. So if you're interested in border stories and why people come I think that was really good. That was very well written. She's awesome, kind of like my hero, but, you know, side note.
2: (laughs) Awesome. I know that you had a maybe a short sneak preview of Finding Amour that might get readers enticed in buying the book once it's out. You want to share? I do.
1: Yes, I do. So I have just the first scene with Emmanuel here, and I am just going to read that first scene and feel free to enjoy it. Emanuel Martinez trembled beneath his ragged, dirt-stained clothing. The bus, bouncing hard on the rutted gravel road, combined with the increasingly angry screams in the distance, did nothing to calm his nerves. He had never felt so scared and alone in his life. Weeks of traveling with strangers, following his coyote through three countries, staying in abandoned buildings, riding atop moving trains, and risking his life meant nothing now worthless, erased, as if they'd never happened. The rest of his life, all eight years of it, hadn't been easy, but this was by far the worst. La Migra caught him and other kids at the border crossing into Texas, so close to freedom they had actually touched it. His left hand had grabbed a blade of American grass before the uniformed man picked him up and carried him away. Red-faced Americans rhythmically pumped flags and signs in the air, their voices filled with hatred and fire, reverberated through the thin windows of the bus where he sat on a worn seat, pieces of orangish-yellow fluff poking through holes in the dark green leather. The driver shifted to a lower gear and slowed down. Emmanuel twirled the wilted green strand of American grass between his index finger and thumb, trying to drown out the world around him, but it was impossible. Their voices echoed so loud he could feel them pass through his body. A window shattered. Frightened screams erupted around him. Emmanuel dropped to the floor, grabbing the little boy, Homer, across the aisle and shielding him from any more broken glass. The boy was maybe three or four years old and was sobbing uncontrollably and smelled like caca. Two hours ago, Emmanuel had sat in a dirty, fenced-in holding cell with hundreds of other illegals. He'd watched La Migra rip Homer out of his mother's arms. They dragged her and the other mothers and fathers into separate cages, screaming, their arms outstretched, reaching for their bawling children then they'd rounded up the shaking weeping children and bust them out of their parents' lives. Oh wow.
2: <laughs> that that sounds that sounds amazing. Thank you. Like, I got I'm really looking forward to the book. So, now, when can readers expect to see finding a more release?
1: Okay, I am hoping to get it up for pre-order. I'm hoping to get it up by the 5th and if I'm hoping that it will be published and ready to purchase and like you have in your hand, either in your Kindle or in the lovely paperback form. Um, hopefully that will be ready end of August or beginning of September. Okay.
2: But you said that pre-orders will be available starting around the 5th?
1: The 5th of August. That's right.
2: 5th of August. Okay. All right. So by the time that um, you hear this interview, the pre-orders will be available. And where can readers go to pre-order?
1: It'll be available for pre-order on Kindle, so on Amazon.com. And then it'll be available for purchase at the either the end of August or the beginning of September on Amazon and also on iBooks. Okay,
2: awesome. That sounds great. You definitely want to get a copy of Finding Amore. A couple quick things. So do you have any plans for what's going to happen next for you? after the book is released, so, like, whether it's any new projects or promoting this book or anything like that. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I have several, like, live events, in-person events lined up to promote my book. I've been invited to a couple churches and to local universities, and also I will be working on the second project of this, the second book uh, in the series, which is Finding Seguridad. The third one one will be Finding Path, And also, I'm actually, this is kind of exciting. I'm just going to throw that out there. This is kind of fresh news right here for you. Um, I'm actually in a little group that we just recently started, which is about for writers of Latino Christian fiction. And we are putting together a Christmas novella set that will be available in November. So keep an eye out for that. The working title is A Merry Navidad. So hopefully that will be out in the beginning of November. So there's going to be, I think there's six authors contributing to that. So I'm going to be writing about some of my characters from Finding Amor. There's a character named Kylie and her mother Nancy. And then, so they're going to be, it's going to be about them. And uh yeah, and so then I've got another, some other projects lined up too. I've, I've been considering also writing like a short story Entitled Caged for Christmas, about Homer, so the little boy that I wrote about and his family, mm-hmm. his mom. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure yet. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of pausing and praying on that. Starting this week, I'm going to be starting working on that novella. And I, after Nano Rhino, I will be writing book two of the Buscando Home series.
2: Oh, nice. So where's the best place for people to? find out about those
1: i would say the best places like either my facebook author page or maybe instagram or even better i will have all my information on my newsletter as well so for people that are interested in in kind of finding out more about me and my books they can sign up for my new my email newsletter another place people can go is to my readers and dreamers facebook group which is where they can find out information about upcoming events with me, but also learn about Latino fiction in general and get to know each other. And it's, it's actually a really great spot. We've been having fun on there.
2: Right. Awesome. So, guys, definitely read Finding Amor. That's Finding Amor, A-M-O-R. I definitely recommend you pre-order this book. Thank you so much, Allison, for coming back on the Top Star Podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me.
1: Well, I'm really glad to be here. I think you were my first foray into into public speaking and so you I've done a lot of things since then, so I'm really thankful for you and for your program. So keep doing awesome work. Well oh, thanks so much.
0: I hope you enjoyed the interview with Alison K Garcia. Follow her on Twitter at A the Writer, the letter A the writer, and on Instagram at Alison K. Garcia, author. I will have links to Alison's Facebook pages and a link to sign up for her newsletter in the show notes. Her new book, Finding Amore, has open pre-orders as of this podcast release date of August 12th on amazon.com. I've ordered my copy and I encourage you to order it today. Speaking of new releases, One of our awesome Flying Machine Network podcasts, Falling in Love Montage, is now back after being on break last month. Falling in Love Montage is a chick flick podcast where two sisters, Helen and Valerie, talk romantic movies and sometimes have some fun guests to join them. I really enjoy their podcast, and it's a great reprieve from the world of politics. The newest episode is about the rom-com Mamma Mia! And they're joined by Nick from Stranger Still. So get your dance on and check that out. Falling in Love Montage is on iTunes, Stitcher, and on most podcatchers. Also, check out their website at fallinginlovemontage.com. Thank you so much for listening to Pot Stirrer Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or on your favorite podcatcher. Go to potstarpodcastcom slash download, and links are right there. If you subscribe, you can get new episodes once they're released, so there's no lag time. Be sure to tell your friends about the show, and if you have anything you'd like to tweet at me, tweet me at Potstarcast. I'm Jay Poole. Let's fight for America's future, because freedom is not free. Give you the incredible flying machine.